All right, we can get started. Amen. How many of us here tonight are ready to praise the Lord? Come on. Amen. Amen. Well, first of all, I want to uh, say welcome to all of our visitors tonight, all the new ones and all the ones that have been here for a while and all the ones that have been here for a really long, long while. You're all welcome. You're all welcome here. This is a great place to come and fellowship. So uh, praise the Lord. We're glad you're here. Keep coming back. This place uh, is here because you come. We are together because God wants us to be here. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, I got a little scripture. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to invite our brother Otto up, and he's going to open us in a word of prayer. Hello, everybody. Let's bow our heads down. Right there where you're at, just give him thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you tonight. Thank you for uh, your love, your mercy, your grace. That you have on each and one of us, Father God. Thank you for the wonderful meal that we had. Thank you for everybody that's here tonight, Father God. We come with a one heart to praise you, lift your name, and we just uh, ask that uh, your Holy Spirit to move in this place, Father God. Uh, thank you for allowing us your Holy Spirit. And uh, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Let's go ahead and stand after such a wonderful meal. <laughs> Let's bring our prayers and our petitions and our supplications to the Lord.
Let's give the Lord praise tonight.
Father. Thank you for this time you've given us, Lord, to give you praise, Lord God. Worship your name, Lord. Heavenly Father, I uh, lift up the service today, Lord, and the prayer. It's all up to you, Lord, that it'll go, it'll go well. All, all according to your will, Lord. Father, again, I just thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord. Jesus, name my pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Praise God. Thank you, brothers, for getting us into that place of praise and worship. That was amazing, wasn't it? Amen. Well, we're getting ready to uh, do uh, praise reports and prayer requests. So uh, um, we're going to ask our brother to come and, and do that with us. But before he does that, i got a question for you. What do you call a lizard that tells jokes? A silly mander. <laughs> You can laugh, it's okay. <laughs> How is everybody this evening? Good group here tonight. I'll tell you, this is praise the Lord's time. How many of you know a Lord you like to praise? Do we do enough of it? I don't. Let's take a look at uh, just a couple of quick verses before we go into praise reports. Psalm 113.1, praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Psalm 118.28, thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Is he your God? Is he my God? Yeah. And once again, you've heard me say this before. I looked in those verses, and I didn't see anywhere where it says, where the, where the Lord said in his word, please. It, these aren't requests. These are commandments. Well, we don't live under the law. Well, it's a sermon in and of itself. We'll leave that alone. Also, we're going to go to prayer. We're going to ask for prayer requests in a moment. Let's see what the word says in a few verses I found here and there. 1 Kings 8:28. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today. The Lord considers us sons, but how do we consider ourselves? Servants. We're here to serve the Lord, and he hearkens to his servants. Acts 6.4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Wow, that hit me right between the eyes. That's a commitment. It's a commitment we all need to work on. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant 
in prayer. You know, I always was told that when somebody's teaching you something, if it's repeated a lot of times, it means it's important. Well, these are just a few times. I don't even know the number of times this stuff like this is in, this, in the Word of God. How about Philippians 4, 6? Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Well, we had the thanksgiving just a few minutes ago. <laughs> so now it's time to let our request be known before our God, our Savior, our Father, and our friend. Father, we humbly come before you today, recognizing that you're our God, that you're our Father, that you're our Savior, that you care about us, that you love us, and you loved us long before we loved you. And that you loved us in spite of who we are and what we've done. We thank you for the blessings that you shower upon us. We read about them in the Bible. In your word. Of all the things that you did for people. Nations. Individuals. And we praise your name. That that hasn't stopped. And it continues today. And it continues every day. In every minute of the day. I ask, may we praise you more. May you guide us into the praise that you inhabit. Lord, we can't thank you enough for dying to save us, for living inside of us so that you can live out through us your life, your glory, your word, your truth. You are everything. Lord, help us to realize that it's not about us. It's about you. That our lives here are given to you to serve you and to spread your word so that others can join us with you in eternity. There are many prayer requests here today. There were a lot of unspoken prayer requests. We pray first for the unspoken prayer requests, whatever they may be. You know every heart here. You know every need. You know every desire. Lord, may your perfect will be done in all of those matters that only you know about with the individual who needs those things. We pray for families. We pray for new babies. We pray for children coming to know you, going to church. We pray for people getting started in society again coming here to Eagle's Nest by your leading and by your guiding through the tribulations that Satan threw at him. We thank you that you brought our brother through all that. We thank you that you brought each and every one of us that went through that. You brought us through. We praise you for that. Lord, we seek healing for those who need healing. We seek your grace and mercy for those that need your grace and mercy. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, we ask you to draw that person to you. 
we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Oh, it still works. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Oh, I love prayer. It always uh, puts me in that mode of, of just being in the throne room, right? And so I always, always have that feeling. Amen. Amen. Well, before we uh, call on our brother Sekou to come and uh, bring us the word, I, uh, I have a question for you. Why don't you play poker in the jungle? Because of the cheetahs. <laughs> and then you just walk off. I'm glad that we have the uh, space, the secondary space um, at Taylor to where we can counsel and work with individuals because I think we're going to need it. I, I don't even know what to say and that's, that's a little odd because, <laughs> wow, okay, this is a football. <laughs> Uh, it is definitely a blessing um, to be here and to be with you guys. Um, it's, it's a blessing to be here, but it's also humbling. There's times when either I'm playing or I'm sitting in the back or I'm, I'm just in different places and just hearing what God is doing among this congregation, what God is doing uh, in the midst of this people that many people would overlook and just the wonderful, powerful testimonies and experiences and the blessing that is poured out from the people in here onto their families, onto people surrounding them. It's just, it's awesome to see that. It's encouraging to see that. No, I know it isn't always easy, but we know that God is constantly at work. We know that there's challenges, but we know that God is constantly at work. And we can rest assured that he who began a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And we can be thankful for that and take God at his word. Um, if you would, turn in your Bible to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews chapter 12. No, we're not reading the benediction. <laughs> He's not yet. Um, but we will be talking a little bit about struggle, but not so much about struggle, but what's after that. Somebody asked a question on Thursday. Was struggle part of God's plan for man? And we had a lengthy answer, in which I won't go into. Uh, if you would like the lengthy answer, you can ask Brian, who's also supposed to tell people what, a, well, what the other word was. So I don't know. He's got, he's got quite a few things to explain. Uh, <laughs> but in, in dealing with suffering, unfortunately, sometimes we see so much of it that it becomes what we deal with. You know, there's a song, and I don't remember who did the song. I don't even think it's a Christian band, so don't look them up. But they said, um, it's not worth the fight when the fight is all you're living for. And that's what the world does. But we as Christians, 
realize, sometimes forget, but sometimes need to be reminded when we do forget that the struggle is not the end. The end is past the struggle. And so while we continue to look at, if we get distracted and look at the struggle, we will get upset. But when we look past the struggle, we will start to see that what I'm going through is just temporary and it's in my way to getting to where I'm supposed to go. So Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. If you're there, say amen. amen. Let's all stand as we read God's word. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, here we are again, and we thank you that we can come together, we can read and study and hear from your word. We pray it is your spirit that teaches us. Let it resonate in us. Let us be able to not only grasp it, be encouraged by it, to grow by it, but also to share it with others in the overflow. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I, how many of y'all can run a mile? Yeah, well, God bless you. I, I tried it. I think the only time I've ever been able to run a mile was in junior high school. I ran the mile in like seven minutes. I beat everybody else in my seventh grade class. That was the first and that was the last time I was ever able to run for a full mile without, you know, going, why in the world am I doing this? Afterwards, yes, there's a lot of times in trying to run a mile and everybody said, oh, you got to get your second win. And okay, well, I keep running. I don't get the second win. I just get the pain and the hurt and why am I doing this and how much further do I have to go? So for me, running a mile is not fun. Running a long race is not fun. I can sprint all day, maybe not as much as I used to and definitely not in steel toes. I tried that and would, fell over in the street. But I can sprint. But when you talk about running an endurance race, pacing yourself and running long distances, mm-mm. Mm -mm. But the problem with me, which other runners have figured out, I haven't quite figured it out, is that instead of thinking about the finish line, I'm thinking, how am I going to get through this? And so I'm sitting there running and I'm just like, oh, my side. Oh, I can't believe. How are they doing? Why? Who talked me into this? This is such a dumb idea. And I'm just running. And eventually what happens? <sighs> well, first you start doing this. And then you start, you know, you, you go from a, a pace to a, you know, just, oh, just keep going, to a standstill, to a sit down, to a turn around and walk around to the water cooler because you're done with the race. <laughs> and that is, unfortunately, the same mindset that the world has when it comes to the race that's set before them, but it's not supposed to be for the Christian. For the Christian, we should realize or remember that the present is a temporary struggle. Our future is eternal glory. 
The present is a temporary struggle because this has a moment. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning, which means that there's a season for weeping. There is a season, a cycle in which you're going to go through something, but the cycle has to end at some point. And then here comes the daylight season and here comes the joy. And you remember the joy. And if thou wilt be perfect, you start realizing I can hold on to the joy of a day season in the middle of a night season so that even though it's all dark, you can't take the one thing from me that sustains me in the middle of the darkness, and that's my joy. But we got to grow to that. We got to learn to that because we once came out of the world. And the world doesn't look at what's beyond the finish line. The world looks at the journey. How many times have you heard this? It's not the destination, it's the journey. It's not the end of the book, it's the getting there through the book. Now I've read some pretty good books, and yeah, true, whether it's Star Wars or whether it's uh, Tom Clancy, I love Tom Clancy books. Um, don't get me Tom Clancy books, I don't have time to read it. I just, I like Tom Clancy. But in reading these books, yeah, it's a fun read, and then when you get to the end, it's like, what's next? It's over. Well, that's the way the world is because they don't see past death. What they see past death is darkness, it's void, it's non-existence, it's whatever. So what they look at is have fun now. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you may die. So do what you got to do in the present. So for the world, now is important. Tomorrow is not promised. And even Christians say that. Well, tomorrow is not promised. And then we kind of look at that like we should be living in fear or living in concern because, well, tomorrow is not promised. But the Bible says that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if I'm here, praise God, it's for your sake. But if he calls me home, it's time to go. And so we realize that this isn't everything, but we have a hope for the world without hope. If they're waking up and breathing, they're thankful because they don't know what tomorrow may bring. And so that is how uh, uh, the, the cycle of the world is max out the present. So uh, uh, do what you got to do. Get what you got to get. Run as hard as you can today. What is the saying? Carpe diem, seize the day. Get what you can get now because tomorrow, eh, it's uncertain. Our future is not uncertain. Our present may have some uncertain and unpleasant circumstances, but our future is definitely not uncertain. We believe in the one true God. We believe that he sent his son to die for us on the cross so that we can be redeemed, we can be forgiven, we can be transformed, and we can eventually make our home with him. Not only that, but we are co-heirs with Christ. So it's not just you're saved, you're good, okay, I'm moving on. It's now that you know who you are, Let's start exploring and getting you to understand what it is that you are purposed for. So we know that we have a future that's beyond this present. So for Christians, it is to be uh, present aware, but future mindful. In other words, it's not that we look at what we're going through and saying this is it, or that we ignore it. Because I know some people I don't want to put uh, entities on blast, but I will say that there are some people that will say, don't, don't claim that you're sick. Just ignore it. Act like it doesn't exist. 
How can you go to the elders and have them take this oil and pray for you if you're sick, if you never realize that you're sick? <laughs> How will you ever go to a hospital if you don't admit, I know I'm talking to men in here, a majority of men, uh, but men have this problem. Men have this problem. It's, it's, you know, you come back, hunting accident, you know, missing part of your leg, bleeding profusely, come in the house, you know, just, shouldn't you see a doctor? I'm fine. Go butcher that deer. We got the deer. We act like nothing is wrong with us. We act like we don't get sick. Oh, that hip. Oh, we're not worried about the hip. Well, it, it's fine. We'll just move on. We tend to ignore <laughs> Instead of saying, there's something wrong, let's go get help. Now, I know as I say this, the minute that I say, you know, I'm not feeling too well, I'm going to get a phone call or a text saying, you need to go to urgent care. <laughs> and that has happened. As a matter of fact, I, I had a cancer screening. And I, I, for those of y'all that have had a cancer screening, uh, when they do the skin thing, they're monsters. They take this thing, and I'm thinking they're just going to go scrape, scrape, scrape. I didn't know they were going to... Yeah! Start turning and gouging out flesh, and I'm just going, what are you doing? Like, how, you should have warned me about this. And, and then at the end of it, because I don't like needles, I says, you know what, this just, we're going to stitch it. No, can we put some tape on it? Just put some super glue on it. It's not that big. Let me go home. And the doctor, for some oddball reason, never going to this doctor again. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> We're just going to put this little one bandage on it and, you know, be fine. But just make sure because it's in a, it's in, it's close to a vein. So make sure you're good. Man, I got home. I don't know what I did. Next thing I know, there's blood all down my leg because I reopened the wound. Now, I could have did one of two things. I could have sat there and said, I'm going to just put some gauze on it. It'll close up in time. And I think I tried that. didn't close up for like 30 minutes. So I eventually had to make a phone call. And that phone call wasn't, my, the phone call was, I got a situation, I'm trying to figure out. The response to my, I got a situation was, Steve's on his way over, he's taking you to urgent care, you're going now. And it was a good thing that I did, because it still hadn't stopped bleeding, I had to get stitches. Might have just got the stitches earlier. <laughs> now, imagine what would have happened if I ignored the current situation. Oh, bless God, I'm, I'm just going to keep going as if this doesn't exist and this isn't a problem. No, it's a problem. That's why we go to God with our issues, our concerns. When we go to God in prayer, we don't say, God, everything is fine. When you got everything in the world chasing you, you all sorts of issues going on, you say, God, I, there's this thing going on, but I leave it in your hands. So it's acknowledging the present, but it's also acknowledging our Father who is omnipresent and over everything and giving it unto him. So yes, we acknowledge and we are aware of the challenge, but we are also aware of our creator and we are aware of what's after the challenge. There's a story, and we even went over this last week with David and Goliath, little kid, big giant. And here is the king, who's also a rather tall individual, as somebody pointed out to me the other, the other week, that Saul stood head and shoulders over everybody else. He was tall. He was a big, tall man, but he's hiding in the tent when some taller came along, and he no longer is, you know, the best thing ever. Now here's Goliath, 
and everybody is fearful and scared. And here comes this wee little kid, yeah, teenager, who says, you know what? I got, I don't need your armor. I, don't, I got God. And we're going to address this Philistine. And so while he addresses the Philistine, the thing is, he's not looking at the Philistine at, as that is the end. He is looking through the Philistine towards the victory that the father has in store. So as he's looking through the Philistine, now he has to go through the giant in order to get to the victory. And he says, God has given me everything I need in order to get through the struggle that's presented ahead of me. Well, you need armor. I don't need your armor because you're not even using it. What I need is the same sling and stones that help me get through the lion and the bear, and it will take out this giant too. And so he goes running into the battle towards Goliath, but really running towards the victory that's after Goliath. While the rest of the nation of Israel sat and focused on the present. Here's a giant. We're intimidated. We're going to shut down. This is the story of David and Goliath. And this is a story oftentimes in our life that we sometimes are overwhelmed by something so big, so massive, and it's talking so loud that we don't look towards the victory. All we see is the Goliath. The problem is, and, and even in our text, that, uh, see, now I took my glasses off and I can't really see it. <laughs> hate these things. Should have got the surgery. <laughs> For consider him who endured, verse 3, such hostility from sinners against himself. It, it's, it's talking about Christ and how he dealt with the hostility of sinners or uh, as, as the Greek is more defined in it, it is the disputations or the disputes and the disobedience of sinners that are around him. And it says, consider this, lest you become weary and discouraged. So what did Jesus deal with? Romans, who are an oppressive system, kinspeople, that he came to save, and they rejected him. Disciples, that he picked and said, come follow me. And in the moment of crisis, they all abandoned him in one form, fashion, or another, or even betrayed him. And yet, it says that he, looking towards the glory that was going to come to him, looking towards the end purpose, saw the cross, didn't ignore it, didn't say he liked it, but he said, to get through to this, I need to go through the cross. And so the cross was not the overwhelming, defining thing, the end of the chapter. The cross was an obstacle to get through in order to get to the victory that not only was glorifying God, but beneficial for each and every one of us. He despised the cross, but he went through the cross to the victory. And each and every one of us look at that same thing for an example to each and every one of us. Because guess what? Sin in the world can cause even Christians to become weary and discouraged. How many bad stories you hear? How many things go wrong in families? Matter of fact, just turn on the news in the morning. I had to stop doing that. I turn on the news in the morning. I like Channel 3. They're all happy and bubbly until the guy went to ABC 15. But they were all, you know, it was like, all right, they're funny. It's, it's, and then it's, over oh, last night this person got shot. This happened. This happened. This plane crashed. A moose got loose from Phoenix City Zoo and went after. <laughs> That's why they don't have mooses anymore. See, you're not the only one that can come up with bad jokes. <laughs> yeah. 
remind me one day to explain to you what you call a fish with no eye. So, <laughs> let's get serious. <laughs> so in dealing with this, the news, the, the people at work, just sinners and sin. It is, it's hard to hear, it's hard to deal with. We don't like hearing about loss of life. We don't like hearing about people being attacked, afflicted. It's not easy and it can cause weariness and discouragement. Even with brothers and sisters in the congregation and they go through something and, and it can become weariness and discouraging to see brothers and sisters who are struggling themselves. Yeah, we're here to encourage, but if you see so much of it, 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 somebody told me, I don't remember where, but they said there's a high rate of suicide in pastors. You know why? Most pastors see people when they're at their worst. Oh yeah, you can preach and do all this. This isn't really pastoring. This is, this is preaching. It's a part of pastoring, but I know pastors who are horrible preachers and great pastors. And I know people who are great preachers and horrible pastors. But pastoring is shepherding people. It's, it's getting in the trenches one-on-one, -on -one, getting to know the sheep, saying, hey, how are you doing today, Chris? How's that dog of yours that's not really a dog? It's got a species gender issue or whatever. <laughs> it's a cat that thinks it's a dog. But that's all right. It works for you guys. But it's getting in the trenches and working with people, which means getting into the success and the pain, the failure. And when you see enough of that, it becomes wearisome if you don't look past the weary into who is it that empowers us to do it. I often warn teachers, leaders, even parents, just people in general, that you need to be aware of the grace that you're given to accomplish the task that is at hand. The reason being is because if you try to operate past the grace given to you, and the grace is the God-given ability to handle things and do things. If you try to go past that, and there's no grace to really do that, now you're trying to compensate with flesh, with ability, with my talent, with my wit, with my whatever. But flesh begets flesh, and you're just going to get even more aggravated and more frustrated because now you're trying to work in your own power instead of following the direction of God. So you go where your grace is. You operate where your grace is, where the spirit leads and that's where you go. God doesn't say, well, come over here and, 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 and preach it to the least of these. And I say, you know what? I'm going to go to First Institutional Baptist down there on Van Buren and I'm going to preach to that church. That day would be a rough go because I'm not going where the grace is for me to go. And then I end up operating in my flesh. I get frustrated. I get weary. I get discouraged. That's why I tell people who are leaders, people who are parents, get away for a while, go on vacation, do like Jesus, go up on top of a mountain. Because <laughs> you can't deal with the weariness without recharging your battery because sin causes disruption. It causes grievance. And even if you don't think that it's affecting you, it's affecting you. I bring up COVID a lot, not because I like it, but it's a great example of how communities operate. I'm not worried about COVID. I respect it, but I'm not gonna live in fear. But it's a little tough not to live in fear when you got everybody else around you. Oh my God, you gotta wear four masks, you gotta do this, ah, for a bubble, ah. <laughs> and then you start thinking, well, should I wear a second mask? Maybe I should invest in that bubble. Well, I get a lot of packages from Amazon 
Kevin. And so, <laughs> and so maybe I'll just start taking the bubble wrap and you know, wrap that around myself and, and then I'll be safe. Now we start thinking the same nonsense that the fearful are thinking. Instead of saying, I will be respectful, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, I will follow his direction and his lead. Sin generates hostility. And a servant is not greater than his master, which means that if Jesus went through hostility because of sinners, we are going to go through hostility because of sinners. Yea, and all those who live godly, and that's the King James, who live godly in Christ Jesus might every now and again suffer persecution. Right? No. No. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you only look at the persecution and the problem and the struggle and the fight, you will find yourself becoming weary and discouraged. You have to look past it. The Bible says in Galatians, the sixth chapter, we got to work on our timing, Eric. <laughs> oh yeah, Galatians chapter six, verse nine says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. There is a season, again, with the season. God has placed seasons in place. There is a course of things that happen in our life. And if we go through doing good, we know that there's going to be a harvest because we're sowing, eventually there's going to be reaping. But we're not the only ones that know this. The adversary knows this. So if while we're doing good, he says in order to keep them from the eventual end of reaping the harvest, let's get them weary so that they will quit, so that they will drop out, so that they will get frustrated and throw their hands up and say no. You know, I, I, last week, I think it was last week, and I sat over there and I listened to just listen to the congregation. And I'm thinking... Thank God that he protects us and keeps us because we could do one rash move and cause, a, I could do a lot of rash moves and cause a lot of damage because God has something wonderful going on here. And so, no, instead of getting weary, I need to keep my focus on him and go through whatever challenge that we're facing because I know eventually there's going to be a reaping, there's going to be a harvest, and God is going to get the glory, and it's going to be awesome. And we already see the work that is happening in this church. The real ploy of the adversary is to get us as Christians, as Christian leaders, as Christian examples in society, to get worn out, to get weary, and then to turn around and quit because now we're not effective and the light has grown dim. So what do we do? We look to Christ. We looked at, number one, his example, how he kept his eyes focused not on the cross, but looking past the cross on the Father and doing the Father's will. Yes, he knew that in the course of his going through things, it was not going to be pleasant. But he also knew that once he accomplished going to the cross and said, it is finished, now it's harvest time. Now it's harvest time. And now every person that names the name of Jesus Christ shows the exact reason why 
that him going to the cross was so important. And so he despised the shame of the cross, but said on the end of it, look how glorious it's going to be when so many people come out of darkness and start realizing Christ is Lord, the Father has eternal love for his saints, and all we have to do is lay a hold of the blessing that is poured out for each and every one of us. He looked at us on the other end of the cross and said they are worth it. He looked at you and said you are worth it. Here is the love of God made manifest towards us, yet while we were sinners, also wearying Christ. But yet he said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you imagine the very people that are bothering you and irritating you and you say, you know what, I'm going to do a sacrifice for your good and eventually you might get it. Ah, there's been a couple times, I, you know, you weary me, I'm going to show you. <laughs> and then I have to look to Christ Jesus look to his example do you think that Judas all of a sudden turned on Christ and Christ says oh so this is who you are nope matter of fact early on in scripture haven't I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil he knew the people who were around him he knew what problems they were going to cause. He also knew that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Same thing for us. So he says, you know what? I'll keep this devil around me because unlike other people that say he'd be a problem, Jesus says he's going to be useful. You may be a devil. You may think that you're going to do what you want to do in order to stop the plan, but really you are working towards the ultimate mission to redeem the very people that you're trying to stop. Isn't it funny how that happens that the people who mean evil towards you, it's not pleasant, but when God turns the situation around, what they meant for evil, you start to see the goodness of God start to work, not only in your life, but in the life of the people who are around you. That's a wonderful thing. It's not wonderful dealing with the evil, but it's a wonderful thing on the other end of it once you get past that present situation. We look to his nature. The very lovingness that Christ showed. Now, don't get me wrong. He did go in the temple, clean it out. You know, he, he got serious when he needed to get serious. But he got serious against the people who were hard-headed. I can't say that T word in Spanish. It's not good. <laughs> I've been called it a lot. <laughs> Look, some of y'all know what it is. Stubborn. I'm just not allowed to say it in Spanish. <laughs> but... When he dealt with stubborn Pharisees, people who were prideful, people who said, I don't need your help. I'm going to do whatever thinking I'm doing right for God because you don't know what you're doing. And he says, you don't know what you're doing and went in there and cleaned it out. Your pride has turned your God against you. But for the people that have pride, at least not in that sense, to have God justify their, their sin and their wrongness, it was just, look, tax collectors, look, I'm wrong. Help me. Zacchaeus, little guy, look, I'm wrong. I've, I've done this. I've defrauded this person. All the people that came to Jesus and said, I'm a mess. And Jesus says, I know, but I will take care of you. I will hold you. I will cover you. I will cleanse you and I will restore you. It's the people who can admit that there's a present problem that is interfering with their getting to an eternal solution that Jesus says, let me help you get to the eternal solution and the eternal glory. All the ones that come to him and say, bless God, I am perfect. <laughs> His nature 
is for those who admit that they need help, he is a helper and he sends the helper. His nature is to look upon man and when they can admit their ignorance and their, their issues without trying to go to God and say, look how good I am, Jesus has compassion on them. But the ones that say, I do everything right, no compassion whatsoever, you get the cat of nine tails. What is this plan for us? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. <laughs> We're going to work on the timing thing, Eric. Now, where the Spirit of the Lord, where the Lord is, now the Lord is a spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Next verse. But we all, we all, look, look to your neighbor and say, you part of the we all. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Think about that. We are looking into the mirror when we look into this word to see who Christ is. But it's like looking into a mirror. As a new creature in Christ looks into the mirror to see Christ, then we are being transformed into a like image? No, the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is not instantaneous transformation. That is level by level by level, a little bit here, a little bit there. You start growing. You start realizing at some point there's more Christ-likeness in you than more coup-likeness in you. <coughs> Excuse me. And now instead of wanting to knock people out, you want to bless people. Instead of wanting to curse people out, you want to bless people. Instead of wanting to show anger, you want to show love, even to the people who are being hostile towards you. And we know that he is transforming us by his word. So we don't look in the mirror like it says in James and see our reflection and get discouraged. We look in the mirror and see Christ Jesus and say, I'm not there yet, but I know I'm on the way. I know I don't fully resemble that image, but glory be to God, he is working on me little by little. My neighbors may not see it my friends may not see it people in church may not see it but I walk by faith and not by sight I know my father sees it and I know that he's working out his plan in my life you say but I keep messing up join the club join the club the church of hot mess that's all churches not just to the least of these that's all churches all of us got issues all of us got that little voice in the back of our head. All of us got these, these things that try to easily beset us and, 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 and hinder us and weigh us down. We all got them. And even though the Bible says lay them aside, which we read in Hebrews, sometimes it ain't all that easy. <laughs> you remember that scene? Don't watch the movie. But you remember the scene, if you've seen it, the replacements, the, long, the, the replacements, the football movie, and they put that glue on his hands. <laughs> he catches a football. You know, because he can't catch the football. But he eventually catches it with the glue on his hands, and then they score the touchdown, and he goes to give it to the referee, and it's like, <laughs> he can't give it up because it's stuck to him. It's just, so the referee's got like a foot on him, and he's pulling on the football to try and get it out. Eventually, he just takes the glove with it. And glory be to God, sometimes that's what's got to happen in our life. We go trying to give a situation to God, and we say, here, just take the football. And God says, no, okay, all right, let's get this football. You know what? Let's get all the attachments that are going on to this football and remove them from you so that you can have a clean slate without anything that even mirrors that situation. 
He continues to work on us to get us to look like Christ Jesus even more so. And not just to look like him, but being transformed. Being transformed. Be ye renewed by the transforming of your mind. Again, the same word. And what, what for all you Greek scholars out there, what's the Greek word for transformation? Metamorpho. That's not, let me go paint my face so I can look like the Joker. That's cosmetic. That's surface. This is a, tra a, a, a traumatic transformation. This goes down into the depths of who you are and flips you inside out. Like that butter, that, that you know, little worm thing, builds a cocoon, goes and hides in it, comes out something completely different, but the same, that's what Christ is doing to each and every one of us, that at some point we emerge looking the same as what we used to, but different than what we used to. You say, that's the same old Seku. No, not, not internally. <laughs> Externally, I might look a little different. You know, I'm not bad for a 25-year-old, but when it... <laughs> Y'all laugh, but there's a rule in this church. Nobody is older than 25. Wait till your birthday shows up. You're going to be perpetually 25. <laughs> but we are being transformed into that, and that transformation is not cosmetic. It's deep. It is down to the surface. And when we look at this principle of looking past the current crisis into what is in our future, sometimes when you're struggling with your own issues, stop looking at you. Now I got quiet. Now I'm meddling. Stop looking at you. Oh, I just, I just keep doing I'm not picking on anybody because I say the same thing. So don't think that you know, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna call out Brother Reed and say, you know, it's, 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 no. Well, I go through the same thing. Stop looking at you. Oh man, I'm always dealing with this. This is just, you know, start admit. Okay, you know what? There's the problem, but I still know that you're transforming me. Because if you allow yourself to just look at the problem, you're gonna stop at the problem. Instead of going through the problem and say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. This ain't pretty right now, but we got to walk through this. I keep stumbling. I keep falling. I keep dealing with things, but I'm trusting you and I'm holding your hand. Whether you guide me through it or drag me through it, it doesn't matter. Take me through it. <laughs> but you're looking at him and you're looking at where he's taking you. You're not stuck in where you're at. You despise the situation, but you look forward to where he's taking you. And all of a sudden, you find that you can run the race a lot better because now you're not worried about how can I take another step. You're looking at when I get past the finish line. When I get past the finish line. I say this at work, uh, not when I get past the finish line. I tell them at a certain point, and I think Eric has heard me say this too, I can see my couch. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I mean, I'm at a point in this chaotic place that y'all call a business that I'm going, all right, you know what? It's almost over. It's almost over. Y'all yelling and screaming, this wasn't on the truck, this ended up, the truck caught fire. I mean, all this stuff that happens. Yeah, that's great, but this is, this is just present, but this isn't my future. In a couple hours, I'm going to be sitting on my couch. I'm going to be watching the Golden Girls. I'm going to be relaxing with my dog. <laughs> I can see what's past the current crisis into where I'm going. And my joy now starts coming back in the middle of my crisis because I know this is not final until I come back the next day. <laughs> what do we need? Two principles. Number one, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, to him being God. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So guess what? If you come to God with doubt, you can't please God. If you come to God thinking that, you know, I don't think that you're going to get me through, that's not pleasing God. We walk by faith and not by sight. So we turn around and say, Lord, I don't see it, but I believe it. I don't see it. I can't see it. There's so much stuff going on right now, but you know what? At the end of the day, I still trust you for your word. I trust you at your word, and I know your word does not return to you void. So you know what? I'm going to keep going through this madness, this darkness, this craziness. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hang on for dear life, but I know that you will bring me through. And so it's faith, not doubt, that pleases God. And my faith in him bringing me through the process pleases him because I know that he is true. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Well, a lot of people believe that God is. A lot of people in church believe that God is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's where the problem happens. Because now our flesh starts talking to us, our past starts talking to us, our, our issues start talking to us. You know, you're not as good as James. You're not as good as Otto. You can't play the guitar like, like Kevin. You can't do this, that, and the other. You're just, you, God loves these people. He's blessing these people. You're just a tag along. <laughs> you're just a, a, a bandwagon Christian. And all these voices get in our head, and guess what we do? We sit down and we watch other people get blessed, and we don't believe that God is going to look out for us. We believe that God looks out, just not for us. Is that too close to home? Should I move on from this? Because I, I know this is, a, again, this is about the joy on the other side of it, but we don't get to the other side of it because oftentimes we don't look at Christ where we're at. We look at us. We look at us. And God says, focus on me. Focus on the will of the Father. Yeah, you may have to go to a cross. As a matter of fact, he even says, pick up your cross and follow me. But what's on the other side of that cross? You may have to die, but what's on the other side of that death? You may have to go through some things, but what's on the other side of those things? Moses, when he spent 80 years in exile, well, 80, 40 years in Egypt and 40 years in exile, that's 80 years of inconsistent, disrupted living. I don't know about you, but I can't stand when life is in turmoil. I'm just not a fan of that. Give me peace and quiet. Give me current direction. Give me an understanding of where this thing is going. M Moses just wandering. I'm in Egypt, but I'm not an Egyptian. I think I'm going to do something right. Oh, now I got to run. I'm in the wilderness, but I'm not even who these people are but I'm gonna pick up their habits and do whatever. And all of those things were teaching him how to be the man that he was gonna be in the latter 40 years of his life. And he looked, once he got a vision, he stopped looking at his present and started looking at the promised land. You say, but he never made it to the promised land. Not physically. Who was Jesus talking to on the Mount of Transfiguration which is, which is in the promised land? And one of them was Moses. He didn't lose sight of the promise. He went through some things, but he did not lose sight of the promise. Abraham, when he came out of the land that he was called, he got a hold of the promise, even though he had a lot of baggage with him. 
And if you read the scripture, you start noticing he got baggage. He didn't fully follow the word like God told him, but God says that you just keep following me and we'll get rid of the baggage. His dad left him in a certain city. Lot eventually left him, spit it, went his ways and went on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And eventually the, 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 the illegitimate son and that bad idea of take Hagar since I can't have a kid, they eventually left too. And then it was just Abraham and Sarah and the child that he was promised. He kept looking forward to God's word and God performed his word. None of his situations were pleasant, but he looked forward to God's word and he walked in faith. And it says Abraham is the father of faith. What's the second thing? John chapter four, verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, which means that when you start realizing the, 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 the troubling of your flesh, get out of the flesh and start saying, Lord, wake me up to your spirit. Stir a fire in me so that I can wake up and see who it is that I actually am so that I can stop looking at the misery of being a failure and start looking at the joy of being something that is a work of art by the master who he is eventually retooling and tinkering with until he gets him to stand in the same image of his son. We can't please God in the flesh. And when you find yourself thinking, woe is me, guess where you're at? I'm not picking on you. Stop saying I'm picking on you. I'm not picking on you. Picking on me. Y'all just happen to have the same issues. <laughs> walk in faith. Even if you don't see it, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk in the spirit. Yeah, you may dabble a little bit, get knocked off sideways, end up in the flesh one way or another. Recover. And that's our modern word, recover, but the, the, the biblical word is called what? Begins with R, repent. Lord, I'm in the flesh. How did I get here? Father, I repent. Help me out, Lord. Help me to get back to you, get my mind focused on you, because this isn't healthy. The adversary would love for you to just sit around and look at your flesh and get your pity pig, put it on the altar as a sacrifice. <laughs> and God says, don't bring me no pig. Bring me your heart. Bring me your heart. Be a man after my own heart. You know, it's funny how David messed up continually, set people up for murder, had illegitimate children, and the Bible still says he was a, God, as a man after God's own heart. You know why? Because somehow he would boom, 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 boom. And God says, do I have your attention? Yes, you do. All right, you're going to go through this, and then you're going to be restored. And when David got restored, guess what he did? Glorified the Father. Glorified the Father. On many occasions, glorified the Father. Paul, aren't you the guy that was killing Christians in, in this life? Yes, but God got a hold of me. And now instead of crucifying Christians, now he's turning around and creating more. Now he's going around preaching. And people are still looking at him associated with his past. And he says, look at my present and look at my future and look at who has me. You say, well, I'm no Paul. How many people do you think are looking at your past? Come on now, all I gotta do is get your name and look on the internet. I can figure out most about anybody in this room. <laughs> that's a little raw, but that's reality. Because people will do that. They won't look at your present. They won't look at where God has you. They will look at your past as if that's all that there is to you. And that's just idiotic. That's even idiotic for us to do that. 
We wake up on a Monday, man, I am the worst person since sliced bread. I yelled at Blake because he beat me in football, which will never happen again. Uh, <laughs> but we're looking at that Monday and ignoring what direction God has brought me all the way up to that point and how many days I have left for God to work out his glory in my life. Stop looking and focusing solely on the present. Deal with the present, but look at where God has taken you. Be reminded of where God has taken you. I'm going to close with this. Romans chapter 8. We won't read the whole thing, which is unfortunate because Eric probably has all the scriptures up there. But <laughs> and I appreciate it, but we got to move. So Romans chapter 8, and some of y'all already know this, and I'm going to skip down to verse 18. <laughs> verse 18 in Romans chapter 8. I really should read the whole thing, so that's your homework. Go home and read the whole thing, chapter 8. But Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In other words, what I'm going through pales in comparison to where he's taking me. What I'm dealing with pales in comparison to what he has for me on the other side. The size of Goliath pales in comparison to the kingdom and the standing that God had for David. Whatever you think your issue is that you're dealing with pales in comparison to the man of God that he has standing on the other side that says, I'm trying to get you to this point where you can stand as a king, stand as a warrior, stand as the man of God that he, or woman of God that he has called you to be. What you see in front of you is, and what you are dealing with is not even worthy to be compared to where he's taking you. Not even worthy to be compared. When Abraham entered into the land of promise, you know what he never mentioned? Canaan. Not Canaan. Ur. Never mentioned Ur. Never even talked about it. Because it wasn't worthy to be compared to where he had him. And where he had him, he didn't even fully inherit the promise. But it was good enough that where I'm at with God is much better than where he took me from. Where did he take you from? I don't even remember. I, you know what? That old dirty place, I, you know, I left that behind a long time ago. No, that's not, that's, that's not even who I am. Because where he's taking me is much better than anything that I'm doing. The adversary would love for you to look at the suffering, look at the struggle, look at the problems, look at how monumental the things are against you. And you know what? They might be. I'm not discounting that and I'm not saying take it lightly. What you may be going through may be some of the worst things that you have ever been through. What you may have gone through is some of the worst things you have ever been through. And you know what? What man meant for evil, God meant it for good. I wish that I could tell you some of the stories in this congregation, especially in how we started. You would be amazed at how out of evil comes the birthing of a ministry that God has poured good through. That is amazing. Out of evil. Out of evil. And yet, what we got is not even, what they went through is not even worthy to be compared to where we are at. What does God have in store for you? What promise have you let go of because you're too busy looking at your present? What is it that God has told you and you said, you know what, I can't see it because all I see is what I'm dealing with. Get your eyes focus back 
on Jesus. What's the song say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look forward to his wonderful face. And things of earth grow strangely dim. In the whole song is trying to teach you something. What you're dealing with is serious, but not worthy to be compared to what he has for you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you have done such a wonderful work on the inside of us, and sometimes we don't even see it. Sometimes we don't even realize it. But we thank you for what you have done. Help us to realize it. Help us to see it. And help us to close our ears off and our eyes off to what the world is trying to present us and let us walk by faith as to the truth you have already spoken and continue to do so until you call us home. Father, we thank you that you guide us through suffering, that you work with us through suffering, that as we go through things, your hand is constantly holding us, but the suffering is not the end of the road. Us being risen together with you and shining bright in glory, giving glory to the Father is far better and not even worthy to be compared to the situations that we deal with now. Oh, Father, you are so wonderful in all the things that you do. And we thank you for bringing us into that wonderfulness and doing a wonderful work on the inside of us. As your word says, you only do wonderful things. So we bless your name. In this church, we bless your name. When we go into our homes, we bless your name. When we go into our jobs, we bless your name. We may face persecution, we may face suffering, but we know on the other side of that suffering is glory. We know on the other side of that persecution is your greatness being proclaimed and us right along there with you as your sons and daughters that you have given us the provision for because of your love. We thank you, we bless you, and we pray that we take this with us in the midst of the struggle as well as in the midst of our peaceful times. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Sometimes, and, and a brother reminded me of this, actually a brother and a sister reminded me of this, sometimes we can get so serious. And I keep hearing that voice in my head, why so serious? <laughs> Bad reference. But the thing about, why? Granted, yes, what we're dealing with is serious and we take it seriously, but we cannot let that seriousness outweigh the joy that has already been given to us. We can't let it take that place. We can't let the darkness of our situation dictate how we should be when God has already spoken over us and said, enter in. Even if you're in the middle of darkness, I still want you to come towards me. And instead of holding on to the darkness, we go through the darkness looking at what he has already set for us and being encouraged to finish the race despite what we feel, despite what we're going through. Because we know on the other side of that, that ticker tape, that finish line, that rate, whatever it is, is God being magnified and his people standing there with him. I pray that you remember that this week and whatever challenge presents itself to you, that you know what? Yeah, this isn't great, but our God is awesome. Would you all raise your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, 
Amen. God bless you.